You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 28, The Short End of the Stick, featuring Laura Grantham Broussard. This episode of Find the Good News is sponsored by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. Check out our work at parkerbrandup.com. Before I press play on the new episode of Find the Good News, I want to let you know about the episode coming out next week featuring Carl and Chelsea Boudreaux, the owners of the Yoga Center in Lake Charles and Stellar Beans. After that, I've got Urban Luke, the Lake Charles City Parks Program Manager, Adelie Cormier, local historian and the author of Lost Lake Charles, and Diana Vallette, local Catholic blogger and speaker. All of those conversations are absolutely wonderful. I got a lot out of them, and I hope that you guys will get a lot out of them, too. I want to remind you all that I'm making this show as much for you as I'm making it for me. Moving forward, I'll be making an extra effort to post upcoming guests and episode information ahead of time on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That'll give everybody an opportunity to use the listener hotline that I've set up. I set that up so you could send me voicemails or text messages. Let me know what you think about the show. You'll be able to ask guests questions. You'll be able to submit questions that I'll put into the fishbowl. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that diving into the fishbowl has been a, a lot of fun but i really want to keep that populated with new fresh content if you send it to me through text i'll print it out and i'll drop it in the fishbowl and we'll see what happens also just let me know what you think about the show or if you've got concerns about the show or if we've talked about something on the show that you want to add something to i'll be happy to play anything that's appropriate or relevant on the show and let some of the guests respond as well and you know you might be able to hear something that you've submitted played i think that kind of feedback is going to be really important to the future of the show i want want you guys to feel uh, that you have an investment in it you know I don't want you to just have to listen to us the idea is that you're able to share your thoughts and that if you have something relevant to uh, add to the conversation I want you to be able to do that so that hotline is 802-459-1668 it's 802-459-1668 if nothing else just send me a message and let me know what you think I, I really do appreciate the feedback I get a lot of DMs and emails and text messages from people who are listening to the show and you know people are really building some more intimate relationships with some of the uh, conversations that they've listened to so uh, I think it's really valuable and again you can you can find that number on the website that's www.findthegood.news you can hit that there or you can submit me an email there as well one last thing that's really important to a little podcast like this are your reviews and feedback it's absolutely the best way that you can support something like the good news whatever platform you're using, whether it's Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, anywhere that we've got the show posted just go on there and take a minute to just give it a like or just leave an honest review that kind of stuff helps in the rankings and it's going to help get the show out to more people that's all i got right now it's time to press play on a little good news sometimes to talk about good things we need to talk about bad things we have to go into the darkness of the cave but make sure we're lighting lanterns along the way so we can find our way out Laura Grantham Broussard sat down with me for a visit on Find the Good News, and our conversation was a bit like that. Laura caught my eye online because she was one of the few voices ringing out in our area, taking an active position of compassion and mercy for immigrants and asylum seekers. She's one of the ones lighting those lanterns on the way into the cave. 
If I'm being honest, I typically feel a good bit of fear when the subject of migrants, foreigners, asylum seekers, or border walls come up. These are volatile times, and as a past guest of the show once said, you can't change anyone's mind anymore. Still, that's one of the unwritten missions of this little show, isn't it? Shouldn't we all make an effort to have honest and elevated conversations, even uncomfortable conversations, that might cause a shift in thinking or a change of heart? I'd say that's the kind of conversation I have with Laura in this episode. She speaks frankly about the immediate needs of the families that she serves through the Immigrant Families Together Network and reveals many of the catalysts for their migration to safer lands. What I really love about Laura Broussard is that she's actually doing something. She's not sitting on the sidelines. She's using her voice on new media networks to help bend the bow towards social justice. But she's also putting actual energy into serving our brothers and sisters, these children of creation, and that's what they are, manifesting resources for families that are totally at the mercy of a stranger's kindness. That hope for kindness is not what they always receive. Laura has that unique knack for looking at history to help generate her compassion. Because she can see where she's come from, she can see others as herself, and in turn, treat them as she would want to be treated. She sees the common ground that we all share, the things that bind us, and that many of the comforts and securities we enjoy simply come from being born in the right place at the right time. Good old-fashioned luck. It's easy to find voices stirring the pot with the long end of the stick. Voices that use degrading rhetoric that dehumanizes immigrants, making their troubles easier to disregard. Laura understands that they are people, just like you and I. They are the ones getting the short end of the stick in this pot we stir with our words. Laura, all of the locals that support her efforts, and the Immigrant Families Together Network are using their words and works to help these people in desperate situations. Maybe there are lanterns hanging along the walls of the deep, dark cave. Maybe there's a light on the outside as well. Maybe people like Laura are helping to transform these dark spaces into comfortable and safe homes filled with love, friends, and resources. For mothers and fathers wandering far from their homes and wondering what's next, I believe it's the good news they've been praying and hoping for. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up a story I can hear The way it's going Cause you're laughing in your sleep On the path to your deliverance And a holy wall of light Pouring through your window Old news, bad news, fake news Sometimes you just want to shut it all down And get no news at all With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm going to find the good. And I love you just as well. I don't usually have any kind of warm-up. We just jump right in. Oh, my goodness. I know. I like it that way. I wasn't sure how I wanted to do that. And, um, you know, I, a lot of people I just sabotage. I don't even know we're recording. 
that's wild yeah but it makes it more natural because i don't i wanted this show to feel uh i know it sounds crazy but almost like first date-ish oh okay you know like yeah. two people really trying to get to know each other yeah because you know i know you online right but that's all i know right you know and a lot of people are pretty revealing online you get a yeah. you get a vibe you know some people are too revealing online <clears throat> but i mean but no i say too i mean i guess it all depends yeah on your um yeah what does that mean to you boundary. yeah you uh that's partly why i started i'm, I'm cautious online like yeah. okay so and you might be too i'm curious to hear about that but so i will go online and i've kind of learned to go Ooh, i like what that person said right kind of piques yeah. my interest yeah i used to years ago i'd go ooh, friend, friend request, request. immediately <laughs> bad idea <laughs> i've learned to go now okay let me go see a little bit more of Take a track a record right. and get a look you know and so I, that's kind of what happened with you other people were sh either people i knew were commenting on something you would post um or maybe sharing something you would post and i was like okay this is piquing my interest and then the more that was consistently and i well, hate to i do like to curate a little bit of a public presence that you know, is good for networking because yeah. um, I work in social media and branding for a, an eco-friendly baby brand. In oh, Montana. so that's what you do. Yeah, that's what I do. Okay. I was going to ask. I didn't know. Uh -huh. I work from home. Um, I've done it for the last five years. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. Eco-friendly baby brand. Mm -hmm. We Mostly our core competency is cloth diapers. Right on. Yeah. That's a huge issue. Yeah. Yeah. You can change just one thing like that and make a huge impact. It makes a difference. Yeah. What's, I was reading an article, I guess yesterday, and it just kind of brought the word back into the forefront of my mind, which was flexitarian, you know, oh, where, right. you know, and I would say, yeah, that's probably what me and my wife are. I, I was a vegetarian for five or six years mm -hmm. when I was in my 20s, and then I slowly tiptoed back to being a carnivore. But uh, now we're more... You know, maybe once or twice a week You'll have some meat. meat. Yeah. yeah. Or and a lot of times we'll just go weeks with just eating fish. Or And that makes a big difference in um, the greenhouse gas emissions yeah. of um, farms. Yeah. I mean, we're hanging on to some old ways that just aren't going to work anymore. Right. Yeah. But that, all of that, well, I didn't know any of that about the green uh, baby brand, mm -hmm. eco-friendly baby brand. But, and we'll probably talk more about that. But what really piqued my interest was your work with immigrants. immigrants. Yeah. Because it's so, for one, it's such a uh, hot button that people <laughs> like to push, and ever? you get opinions all over the spectrum. You do. Uh, people have different ways of justifying their stances on it. Mm -hmm. You know, whether they be political or spiritual or religious or whatever. Right. And uh, I don't know. I would say everything I've seen you post, you put, and this again, I don't just want to bring people on the show that I have like-minded right nature right. with but i would say we're in alignment yeah and I, I found it refreshing because i don't hear many voices in our area in favor you of know, helping immigrants my interest in like human migration patterns basically started in childhood because my mom's hobby is genealogy ah. and so you know like most people from around here i am a descendant of Acadians and Germans, yeah, Corsican Italians, um, some French, and then um, on my dad's side, mostly just um, the colonial settlers sure. who settled the, the original 13 colonies. So um, it's just always struck me learning about the history, especially of um, my Francophone ancestors, that 
you know, and my husband can we can trace his lineage back to Beausoleil Broussard himself. Okay. Who you know came here. Um, he led you know the Acadian people when they were exiled. He led them first to Haiti and then eventually negotiated a place for us in Louisiana. Um, but we were regarded as outsiders. We were given land that was not good for farming. You know that deep South mm-hmm. Bayou land in Southeast Louisiana. Um, we were considered not skilled enough to be able to have farmland. We were not white enough to go to school with white children. Um, because I don't know if you know this, but the Acadian people, the the French settlers who settled in Acadie were mostly um, poor men looking for economic opportunity. And where they settled, they integrated themselves into the Mi'kmaq tribe okay. in Canada. And so... Greater Canada referred to the Acadians and still refers to the Acadian families up there as Métis people. Which oh, no, is I didn't know that. Mixed-race people, yes. Um, and so you'll hear people talk about Cajuns, and I know I have one daughter with very dark hair, and people will say, well, there's your Cajun baby. Ah. But, you know, our culture has come to really value whiteness and blondness. Jolie Blanc is yeah. our national anthem. Oh, yeah, no, right? you're right, you're right. So um, that colorism has helped us to assimilate. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we got here, we were not regarded as white people. And um, it was many, many generations. Basically, when our um, great-great-grandfathers were able to interpret uh, during the World Wars. Mm-hmm is when um you know we became valued and regarded as american yeah and so uh it was many 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 generations where we had no interest at all in assimilating or in even really learning english beyond what we had to to get by yeah and um we all have the stories of our our great-grandparents being beaten at school sure for speaking french at school when the law really started to get tough about um people needing to assimilate into english right culture in south louisiana i guess i've it's probably been since um, was it the early 2000s when you would start to hear the people the comedians say like why do i have to press one for english yeah that i almost immediately just by luck and virtue of you know conversations with my mother realized like Okay, so like three generations ago, that was my family that would have been the right. butt of those jokes. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of the beginning of my interest in migration. And like most little nerdy girls in the 1990s, I read a lot of diaries of refugees, like the diary mm. of Anne Frank, Zlata's diary. Um, so, you know, I was interested in those like human interest stories from a young age and so i don't know it all sort of came together in the last several years um i'm lucky that my children go to the magnet school okay where a lot we have a lot of immigrant families really Um, okay yes because families who come here um from the middle east and yeah mostly from the middle east but also from asia to work um at the plants or in the medical system, um, will often get their kids. You know, their academics are important to them, 
and their kids go to Cooley, and my son plays chess. So, I mean, all the stereotypes about chess are there for a reason. (laughs) Like, it's really an international language. Yeah. And um, so my son's friends, through his friends, I've met parents, and, you know, one of my best friends um, is a Palestinian asylee. Oh, really? Yes. Um, So we'll get together um, and do, like, a big spread of, like, Cajun and Mediterranean food, and like you'll have a peach cobbler next to kanafa, which is a Palestinian dessert, uh-huh. and umali, which is a Egyptian dessert because we have an Egyptian friend. Yeah, and, okay. Um, like I've been to mosques with them. They've been to churches with me. We took a trip to Washington D.C. and New York, and I went to this beautiful Turkish mosque with them outside of D.C. And then when we went to New York. Everybody came with me to um, Mass that was in Arabic. It was the Divine Liturgy of the Maronite Rite. Okay. So it's in Arabic and Aramaic. Oh, wow. What an experience. Let me tell you, to hear the words of consecration in the language that Jesus would have been speaking at Mm. the Last Supper was, yeah, it was a very profound experience. Yeah. Um, And then to share that with friends, even friends of other faiths, they're so connected to the region that the story is important to them. Yeah, sure. As well. Sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, I have a lot of interest in just migration, immigration, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I guess I'm kind of like an old school conservative on this in that, like, okay, I know this is a post 9-11 world and that, you know, security threats are, are I don't want to downplay that. I know that many people had that on their minds when they talk about this issue of securing the borders. Yeah, yeah. But um, I guess I'm kind of an old school conservative in that I feel like, at least on this issue, that as open and free as borders can be, that's how open and free they should be. I see. Because yeah. migration is like the natural state of things for humans. Mm-hmm. And um, and it should be regarded as a human right. Um, if people can pull together the resources to get somewhere that they want to go, they should be able to. Yeah. And um, on an immediate level, immigration is good for markets. It's good for society because it helps us to cultivate empathy it teaches us to celebrate both our common humanity and our differences. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that this is truly what people, I don't know why they're afraid of it. Okay, because that was going to be my next question. Why do you think people are afraid of it? Why do you think that it's not celebrated why is it um why does it upset people so much i think that people feel like our because our resources can be limited that they it's like this immediate zero sum game and they can't be shared and and our our job market can't sustain an influx but like we're a capitalist country and isn't that the idea? Like that the market will be able to shake itself out, work itself out? It's the idea, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, and I also see a lot of propaganda out there um, about immigrants coming and getting on 
like say like snap resources and then like doing a bunch of shopping with their snap and then like stocking their stores with that Mm. and then sending all the money back to their home country which doesn't make any sense at all like if somebody immigrates here they are building their own family's wealth to be able to get established um but also like people just don't do that (laughs) like if they qualify for snap it's because they need to feed their family right they have an immediate need right exactly that's how you qualify and um this is propaganda that's definitely viral it taps into something for people you know that fear of being eliminated or something yeah it's an old human problem it is it's it's ancient i mean it's like it's buried in us somewhere yeah and i mean but now good things are buried in us too but like this when you have voices out there that can just pluck that out and and it and overshadow or worse than overshadowing your good parts um twist twist them up to where you feel emboldened and you feel like you're doing good work and it's actually at the detriment of a whole race of people or immigrants or whoever the right the labeled bad guy or villain of the story is it's like that it just plays on the old feel of an us versus them Mm -hmm. it's like um somewhere inside there are people that just know this and just pull it out for what for what purpose i don't know it's almost like there's profit and chaos yeah there's a certain nihilism i think behind a lot of um like the the nationalism that's really taking hold in um not just american political discourse but all over europe too Mm. and um yeah i i don't know what the yeah, it's the hard. goal really is some of the propaganda makes it look like it's about um, shoring up our families and you know making sure that our cultures aren't erased and like white people aren't really at risk of being erased right well I don't and we've that's already an done fear. a whole lot of um, integration so that like there are lots of things that have already kind of faded and you really only find them at like cultural festivals sort of or museums um so i don't know i i just feel like immigration on its face is not good or bad it's just what it is it's just the state of things yeah (laughs) It's a weird human compulsion. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's funny because that's what I was thinking. Birds do it. Nature does it. And you know, we—I don't know. Have you ever read this book? And if you haven't, I would suggest it. it's called Ishmael. Um. Uh, there was a, that's a novel. Yeah, there was a there was a movie that was kind of made off of it. It was okay. not as good, but uh, with Anthony Hopkins, where he lived okay. with the gorillas. But they they the guys the guy lays out in this book you know he calls them takers and leavers and he talks a lot about mm. where we begin to see sort of the fall of humanity right whenever right. people started um farming the land versus okay. traveling and migrating right. from place to place with the seasons and, and going from a hunter gatherer mm-hmm. to you know agriculture and so he, he it's a really convincing argument yeah. i mean what he paints uh, you'll see where people begin to settle and yes. farm the land 
then you begin to see the control of nature mm-hmm. uh, where we get this idea that, well, there's an intrusion. Okay. And so we need to put a barrier. You right. know, this doesn't right. grow next right. to this. And so it's just a, an old that mindset that gets put in us. And then he goes to play it forward that this idea of intrusion and this is mine, that's yours. There's only so much here. We've settled here. Right. Um, this is now ours versus the, the nomadic lifestyle. Yes. It bred war famine okay. hatred i mean he goes it's on fascinating and on because the rise of agriculture is also what brought us written language interesting um i read a book in college by david abram called the spell of the sensuous that discusses the turn from an animistic religion to the more formal beginnings of um the hebrew faith of the israelite faith the jewish faith and the rise of the hebrew language interesting um going along with the rise of agriculture and and settling yeah um and i wish i could remember more about it it's been that was in 2004 (laughs) so So it sounds to me um, like you have like that kind of view and then you have this other view but somehow now we're left to sort of pick at the pieces in our in our time period like you know there's all these different opposing ideas about that which we we definitely want the written language the beauty of that and all the things that come from it talking about this with my wife i don't know where i'd read it but there were some arguments uh they were showing where um if you go back every generation there's always some uh demonized form of communication you Uh know where it was the television and it was before that was the radio and then you go back and there's even writings where plato and socrates argued about written language and you know you shouldn't be writing this stuff down you should learn it orally Mm -hmm. uh and so the writing down of philosophy was right. demonized. Like right. this is a bad thing. And I mm-hmm. thought, man, every generation paints the next form of communication right. as novels bad. used to be trash. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's pretty interesting how that just seems coded into us, which and I don't want to believe it is coded into <laughs> us, but it it just keeps repeating, rinse and repeat in we, new uh, forms. We um I don't know if it's that we don't like what's new. Or we don't like what young people do first, or or what it <laughs> right. is. Um, I don't know. But so, I have spent the last 10 years having children. Uh-huh. So I have five kids. Wow. How old are you? Um, I'm 32. 32. Mm-hmm. Wow. We got married young. Um, I married my middle school sweetheart. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't hear that too often. I met a few we high met, schools. We met in the lunch line at St. Margaret in sixth grade. Oh wow, man, that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we have five children. We have a ten-year-old, an eight-year-old, twins who will be six next month, and then the baby will be three in May. Wow! So I'm finally at a place the in my twins. life where, like, I have the bandwidth to do more than just run my mouth <laughs> on social media. <laughs> So uh, that's kind of um, what's led me to like actually working in the community with um, immigrants and like doing some networking with immigrant rights activists. So how long have you been doing that? Not that long. Not that long. No. So this Um, is when when does that start for you? When it first came to like broader public attention that. The administration had chosen the the executive administration of the U.S. had chosen to, um, like, 
stop immigrants at the border and detain the parents in ICE detainment centers, but then keep the children in like shelters Mm -hmm. or in some cases put them in the foster care system. Um, So when families were being separated, um, some people up in, I think, New York started an organization called Immigrant Families Together. And that name sort of emerged after they started the work. But the work was basically raising as quickly as possible bond money to bond a parent out of detainment. And then, because their children were usually kept states away, and ICE did not cover plane fare or anything like that, you know, also raised the money for plane fare to reunite them and then to help them find housing. Okay. Um, so Immigrant Families Together started as that. And it's kind of grown um, to so that the work that it does is a little broader now. Um, but basically what has happened is that there are, like, there's the southern region, there's the Midwest region, there's the Northeast region. Um, I think California has its own. Uh, but basically people will network so... When someone working in a shelter, like volunteering in a shelter. Okay. And so what the shelters are is if someone gets to the border, turns themselves in, pleads asylum, which they have a legal right to do, Mm -hmm. at least right now. um, And they say, I have a relative willing to sponsor me. ICE checks that out. If they verify that it's true, they kind of turn them loose. Okay. Um, and so shelter workers are there at the border or, you know, near the ICE center ready to um, guide them to a shelter. And El Paso has a lot of the shelters right now. Um, so basically, when people um, who are volunteering in the shelter find out, you know, get to know the people who are there. And they're helping them to get bus tickets to get to their destination. When there's someone coming to Lake Charles, they let me know. Okay. Because you're in their network. Yeah. Gotcha. That's right. And they know I'm in Lake Charles. Um, So, basically, when people have a sponsor here, they get on a bus. And then a few days later, like, I know about when to expect them. It's about three days from El Paso, for example. Okay. I know about when to expect them. Um... They've given the shelter worker that they trust, who's in contact with me, a phone number Okay. Um, to contact them. And so I just send a text. I use Google Translate. Like, it's the first app on my phone now. It works now. I really good it. Yeah, for that? I mean, it does what it needs to do. I took yeah. French in school. Oh, really? That's what we were encouraged to do. I, you know, I went to a magnet school where we took French. Isn't that interesting? Through. It's a flip. Your, your ancestors were encouraged to not speak to it. Not and now speak we're trying it. Well, to well, and Codafil, Codafil <laughs> trying to revive that's it, and that's why we have the French programs. And honestly, um, French immersion is codified into Louisiana law now since I think two thousand eight, two thousand seven. As um, as a student, it's a student's right to have access to French immersion. Wow. Um, but yeah, I do wish I had learned Spanish, and the grammar is very similar, so I can. Um, I'm kind of learning as I go, but I don't know that I'll ever be able to like conjugate verbs on the fly sure. or anything like that, but that's what the app is for, and it does the job. So, um, But I send a text and like get an idea of what people need. I create an Amazon registry, and then I kind of seed that out. 
Um, I I am always careful to protect identities. Sure. Um, you just never know who's gonna see what you're putting out there. Yeah, and you're I, trying to protect you know, those families. But I, there are. But I also have to do a lot of outreach, and sometimes it feels a little solicity, like. You, you mean know, like asking your, asking people to donate to help? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't do it. You know, I got sure, five no. kids to raise. Right, right. Um, and so, do you get any blowback from that? I have not. Really? No. That's people just really good to hear. Help, or I guess they ignore it if they, you know, don't think yeah. people should be here or should be helped or given handouts or whatever they. That's might incredible. Think. I'm glad to hear that. You know, I, but I'm surprised by that actually. I am too, um, and a lot of locals have been people helping, but I also have a wide network because of my job. And just because of, like, the Catholic Internet and social justice Internet and just whatever. Um, so I have a lot of people who um, will spread the word, yeah. spread the link to the registry. Um, I just use my old baby registry from when my it makes tw- sense. when I was pregnant with my twins. And um, that way it's kind of not obvious, you know, yeah. what it's for because it's a public registry. But, yeah, I just fill their needs. So, um Families coming here from Central America think it's really cold here right now. Oh, really? And yeah. so they need heaters and warm blankets. What do they say? I mean, like you that. can't say where, where, I'm sure. But, like, what, what, what's the situation? I mean, the living situation when they get here. When they get here, they're yeah. staying with their sponsors. Okay. Um, but their sponsors are not usually established enough to really provide I see. for them. And they can't work for 180 days. So they're at the mercy of, of whoever of can gonna... help. Yep. And I think that churches are really feeling the need. I don't know for sure. But I, you know, people I've talked to have said, yes, I went to the church and I don't know what church, but I went to the church and, you know, they helped with this or that. Um, so they do what they can. Yeah. And I know we have La Familia Resource Center, which offers language classes okay. and citizenship classes. Um, I don't know how connected they are to... Um, the immigration lawyer we have here in town. But if you are listening, Ashley Foray, D's, get in touch with me. Um, I have questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> so who is that that you just mentioned? What is? I don't know her. Okay. Um, she went to St. Louis a little bit before I did. Okay. So I know who her family is. I see. And she's an immigration lawyer. And her website is interesting. And I know that um, good legal advice is really necessary. Um, and like feeling like they have the backing of um of an attorney who really has gotten to know them is what gets asylum seekers to show up for their hearings uh-huh. and you know you hear a lot of people say well once they get in once they're released they, yeah, they out disappear in the wild is unknown. they disappear. Yeah, disappear into society um, right? well yes and no people who are in total culture shock um and coming from countries that don't have as sophisticated an immigration court system as we have they don't necessarily understand and not to say that they're intellectually incapable but it's just kind of beyond their like cultural grasp that they have to show up in this state and so they need you know supportive people sure to help them make sure that they do these things there's because people otherwise there's a huge temptation to stay under the radar and i can totally understand why I don't like to show up to renew my driver's license. Right. You know what I mean? That's what I was going to say. That's kind (laughs) of what I thought. I was like, I know people who stay under the radar who live in our society who are not immigrants and they don't want anybody, you know, they don't want to integrate with anything like that. So, yeah, or have any kind of entanglement with it. You know, they're staying off the radar too. And I'm happy 
I know it. You've probably heard me mention filming videos, building websites, creating logos, or building brands on this podcast. Well, there's a good reason for that. I'm a brand builder, and my brand is Parker Brand Creative Services. My team and I have built countless brands in the Gulf Coast region, and a lot of our work in the travel and tourism industry is experienced across the country, and honestly, the whole world. We have our specialties, web, logo, package, and whole brand design, as well as video production and photography. But the reality is we function as a full service advertising agency to businesses that don't really mesh well with larger advertising agencies or just don't want to have in-house creative departments. But don't listen to what I say. Just go to our website, parkerbrandup.com, and take a look at what we do. We're a show it, don't say it team. Okay, you should definitely say it too, but you know what I mean. That's parkerbrandup.com. We think sideways, we push forward, and we'll get your brand up. So take this, you've earned it, a melody and chorus. I'm just listening to this and just thinking about it in my own life. I just try to imagine myself in this situation. Same. You know, I've traveled potentially on foot with very little, you know, for a long, long time with children uh, for whatever horrible picket, whatever yeah. horrible thing you're leaving. And then you get there and you don't know how long it'll be before you can even apply for asylum. If you even are allowed to it in the current yeah, situation, yeah. you, you finally, everything you're hearing is filtered through rumors that people are telling you, you know, in, in your WhatsApp text messages, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're, you're not really clear on what you're going to encounter when you get there. Right. So they do that. Then they're potentially separated from their children. Mm-hmm. You know, that that is emotional. Or you've left your spouse and baby back at home. And, <sighs> and they you know, really because don't the know. journey's too hard for them and you don't know when you're gonna get them here. They don't um, even really always know to. if they what's happened to you, really. Right. I mean, right? You don't well, have like some I mean, yeah, I mean people use WhatsApp and you know, really? other ways of tech yeah. So there is a communication, communication. network taking place. Definitely. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I didn't yes. know that. I mean, I, I mean, if people so are able to get know. to get a smartphone and data, you know, and get a data plan, they can use WhatsApp, and that's free. Um, so we don't need to worry about like calling card minutes and things okay. like we worried about in the nineties. Like, yeah. I traveled to Europe with friends when I was young, um, with an immigrant family. They were from Italy, wow. and. Um, I went back to Italy with them, and I had to have a calling card with minutes to call my mom. <laughs> yeah, I remember those. Yeah, so WhatsApp lets you text or video call if there's good enough connection or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so they're able to communicate then mm-hmm. and stay in touch with their family. Well, yeah. that's good. Yes, it is, but it's it's still not the same. Well, sure. I mean, most of us out here, okay, wouldn't want to have to do that. No. You know, I mean, finding a signal, finding data, whatever you have to yeah, do. I yeah. mean, that's that's stuff you see people doing that are, you know, I see people do it at the park or right. wherever they're sleeping, you know. Yeah. But uh, I'm not doing that. Right. You know, I'm used to having access to yeah. data and communication. Mm-hmm. I can get in touch with my wife over something trivial like you know, we're out of milk or bread, right? right? And These you people, come home to her And I night. go home, you know, I have a place to sleep. I can't imagine going through all of that. And then, you know, the, what, what's the percentage of folks who actually get through all of that and then actually end up in a network like what you're a part of? Well, um, recently, a family that I was matched with, um, there were about 45 families in the shelter at the same time as them they were the only ones who got matched with support so one out of 45 in that situation yeah 
Um, and some places, New Orleans has a pretty good immigration um, activism network, and the people there tend to mobilize and, and, and bring the support. Um, San Francisco has a great one, and also their court system is the friendliest, probably, toward granting asylum f- for um, migrants from the, from Central America. Uh, locally, I've heard that Louisiana does not have great receptivity. Our immigration courts don't have great receptivity to allowing, um, you know, granting asylum status to Central American migrants. Really? I have friends who are asylees, but they're from, they're Palestinian, so they're stateless. When you're stateless, you have a pretty ironclad case for asylum. Yeah. You know? you don't, there's nowhere to there's go. There's nowhere to deport you to. Right, right. right. <laughs> How much of what you do gets filtered, is framed by, not filtered through, but is framed by your, your faith? Um, that's an interesting question. I'm Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not always the best Catholic. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to stop you right there. Just, what do you mean by you're not always the best Catholic? Cause I, that's I'm a, so that's, jaded by the hierarchy right now, um, unrelated to immigration, because what the bishops have said about immigration has been great. But it's like... You're not doing us any favors when you talk about this very politically unpopular stance you've got, but you're also covering for just decades and decades of right. you know sexual, sexual misconduct abuse, and right. abuse. Yeah, um, you're not doing me any favors. It's, it's hard, so I right? Wish you, you defend would the just one, but right. shut up, Bishop Donardo. You know, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so I, that's what you mean, yeah? Like, you yeah. don't always agree with the hierarchy. Well, the actions of the hierarchy are not um, the teachings of the church, of course. But, you know, I don't know. It's it's sometimes difficult to remain, but, you know. But you do. But I do. And why? The Eucharist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the answer. <laughs> That's it. No, I understand. That's it. But um, you can't you can't walk once you know that you can't walk away from that. I know, and I have said before that um, I have visited beautiful mosques, and I'm sure that in synagogues I would feel the same way. Like I get the same like elevated spiritual. Um, I don't want to say feeling. It's not a feeling, but it's a transcendental experience. An awareness of what's yeah. of, of what's greater than than us um, in these in these other beautiful buildings. The same way that I feel, um, you know, in the cathedral. Yeah. So, I I always say like like a basic Abrahamic um, monotheism is like definitely what I know to be true. Um, and the Eucharist is the anchor that keeps me believing that this expression of that monotheism is, you know, the, mm. the correct one. But I am, uh, I flirt with universalism a lot, which is a heresy. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I understand. I, I do too. Yeah. I understand. I've um, had to, I've had to learn to live with that cloak, I guess, yeah. you know, and, and not, you know. But so, um, Back to immigration, yeah, 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 with, yeah. <laughs> as, as, as it goes, I have a lot of Muslim friends. So much of Islam is about service and um, 
hospitality. And that is obviously hospitality is also a Christian virtue. Mm-hmm. And um, I love being able to like provide hospitality to Muslims, receive hospitality from Muslims, provide it alongside Muslims to other, you know, just other people um, in the community. And I see a, a really um, big opening for some ecumenical work in our community or in any like small town America. Yeah. Um, if if people would be open to it and not be so suspicious of each other. Do you think all of that goes back to just 9-11 and that? Mostly. Yeah. I think before 9-11, a lot of us didn't know what Islam was. Yeah. I didn't really. No, I think you're right. Because, like, (laughs) look, I mean, I would say as a younger person, before I really knew what it was, uh, my exposure was movies. Yeah. You know, Robin Hood with Kevin Costner. I knew that that was, you know, in in the movie. But I didn't really fully, I didn't go study the Crusades or anything like that and, and understand you know what any of that meant right you know so i just you just of course sort of accept that as part of the fabric of uh-huh. your of life okay. and you move on you know right and then when a tragedy occurs it sort of paints everything it it really did and that extremism is obviously um a scary thing i'm like but well, i'd say we see that same people extremism. become radicalized yeah, we see it in everything. In yeah, everything. you can find it in any. Um, you can, and there are. I have. The internet is a scary place sometimes, and I've run into people who, like, proudly, are not in jail anymore, but they did time in prison because they bombed an abortion clinic mm-hmm. or attempted mm-hmm. to assassinate, um, you know, a, a doctor who performed late-term abortions, and, um. They still feel like they were doing the good work. Justified, yeah. And radicalized, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who claim to stand for Islam, they also, you know, seem to believe that they're doing the good work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I think, have to have some moral clarity on what the good work actually is. And if the good work is about, like protecting a label that you proudly belong to like i don't really want a part of that yeah no you know I, what I mean totally um, understand what you're saying yeah i don't really think that that's the gospel i don't think that that's in the quran from what i've read of it um i definitely don't think that it's in the Hebrew scriptures where God reminds the Hebrews so often that they were strangers in the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that pride of culture is good, but you can't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. It can't have primacy over um, hospitality or... Um, just openness to learning yeah now this weekend i was uh i rewatched seven years in tibet i had it's been a several years since i watched it and there's mm-hmm. one scene in the movie have you ever seen that film I have not. it's really wonderful uh, i think it is mm-hmm. and there's a scene in there where um 
you know, if you go read the political history of Tibet, they had gotten to a point where they didn't allow any foreigners at all. Their right. borders were shut right. off. So it was it kind of created this mystery around it. Mm-hmm. It was hard to get to, first right. of all. But that all really came through a bunch of political problems where the British were trying to claim rights right. and Chinese were trying to claim rights. So the 13th Dalai Lama basically shut the borders. Right. And so <clears throat> when I was younger and I would study that, I thought... It was fine, you know. He shut the borders, you know. And now I'm living in a, my country is sort of in the same the situation. And I'm like, it's just interesting how I had sympathy for the Tibetan culture at that time, and I kind of related to them. But now that it's happening here, I've changed my thinking. There's a little bit of a power dynamic difference there, yeah. though, in that some kind of land grab is what right, was trying to happen. Was yeah. trying to happen, and people. I mean, even the president has tried to frame it that way, like. That people are coming and they're invaders, and he read that poem about the snake at mm-hmm. his rallies, and um, I, no, it's really more like what the Acadians yeah. did. Yeah, I think you're honestly right. like that. that you know, um, they're not necessarily exiles, but they're running from, um, you know, when you're. Imagine your city. Imagine this city, and it's not going to happen just because we let immigrants come here but imagine this city or your your village you live in iway or or fenton um and the local law enforcement and the local government is so embroiled in blackmail and extortion by gangs that you have no recourse to the rule of law you can't protect your family because through the police right you know um because they're you know being extorted or blackmailed by gangs and so you know, the people that I've met here, you know, they owe money in their home countries um, to get, you know, bad people, criminals off their backs. They, um, they just need a way to come somewhere stable. And to be quite frank, United States foreign policy going back for 30 years or more did a lot to create the ins- to create right. the instability in Central That's America right. and South American. Well, the whole countries. banana republic. I right. mean, we're, exactly. we say that, and we, if you go dig into it, you can see the seeds of everything that we're dealing with today, right, right there. So, um, I don't know. I've I've met just young people who just want to live somewhere stable where they're not where they can work for their money and you know make money and feed their families and take care of their families and have their kids educated and and all the things that we want um there are there's a narrative out there that's pro-immigration but it it talks all about the great things that immigrants have done mm-hmm. or the great things that immigrants do steve jobs was an immigrant and he was, ah. he was a syrian immigrant okay and um there's a time and a place for that and it's good to highlight these stories i think it's really good sure but um I'm also thinking that we can just be for the immigrant who just wants to, like, just be. No, I get it. I mean, it's interesting how I keep. I'm listening to this, and I'm. I really guess I haven't really sat and meditated on meditated on this enough, but mm-hmm. I keep thinking, making um, comparisons to the Tibetan people. I mean, yeah. I can actually find a lot of the answers in that whole thing. You know, I'm watching that country. So we've got a leader who shuts the borders uh-huh. to protect the country, right? Right. But 
ultimately there is another far a stronger foreign power china who right. eventually says Just. that you, the tibet belongs to us and we're taking it back by force mm. okay right tibet has cut off all of its relationships at that point so with no every country it has no allies because it closed down its borders 50 years prior mm-hmm. no one came to their aid China marches in, takes over, and they're still there to this day. And then the whole Tibetan government and culture, really, is dependent on the mercy of India. Yeah. Because now they're in the foothills of the Himalayas and Dharamsala. They've got the government in exile. So it's a weird twist on the whole thing. You know, you go, if India said, well, no, you can't come here. Then what? So what happens to all the Tibetan culture, all the people, all those uh, Mm -hmm. refugees, basically, of the... Chinese cultural revolution you know I don't know I just I think about it now in that context of what's going on here and I'm like you know shutting off borders just doesn't seem like it plays out good any any time I mean you know go go back to the 80s to the wall I mean the falling of the wall we celebrated that right you know why I don't know I don't know there's just you can see it throughout history it just doesn't seem to work out and that is why, I mean, I say it's like an old school conservative libertarian opinion. Uh, and most people would not accuse me of being a libertarian. But when it comes to movement, I really just think it's going to happen. It's what we do. And we just have to let it. And we have to navigate security concerns, of course. Sure. Um, but that's what intelligence is for. Yeah, doing the right thing is a harder job. It is right. I mean, in that in, in that situation, you know, um, a, a wide wide brush strokes don't always seem to work, right? Because there's too much uh, there's too much color in there. There's too much diversity and too mm-hmm. many different situations. And when you drop a big brush stroke, which I mean, honestly, a closed border is a big brush stroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, it affects people negatively because of just different dimensions right. that each person's story carries in it right yeah yeah i mean that all seems easy now i hear arguments from people say well if you love it so much um let them come live at your house that's an argument have you heard anything like that um i've heard people say that yeah what do you think about that um I've tried. My husband is like, we don't have the space right now. But if you let us finish this home edition, then sure. Okay. So um, someone asks you that, you say, hey, there is potential there. And people won't ask. Yeah. But I've offered, um, like, okay, no one likes to share their home with strangers. Sure. Or even with relatives. I've done it before. I've house shared. It's hard to navigate. Um and you don't have any privacy. Like, you can't walk out. Oh, I, the towels are in the a yeah. basket in this room. And, you know, I'm, I'm stepping out of the shower. Like, you can't do that when you're house sharing. And right. so the sponsors of people, you know, they've put themselves in this situation. They've allowed themselves to house share for however long they're going to need to. And so I've been like, well, you know, come sleep at my house to give them a break and you get a break. And... Um, yeah. You know, we'll take the kids to the park or something on the weekend. Um, so that kind of thing is what I can offer right now. Uh, but I haven't talked to my husband into offering, <laughs> like, actual long-term house sharing because we've done that before with family, and it was hard enough with family. Yeah. Well, you know, what? You, it's interesting listening to what you're saying. It does make sense. I mean, I, uh, I think about what you just said, privacy and yeah. the luxury of privacy. Yeah. You know, some people don't. Privacy is not even a part of their life. Nope. 
you know, nope. living in groups and shelters and things like that. That's mm. that's no privacy. Right. You know, and then you got people that are completely invading your th- every detail of your life. I think that there's a, a mental toll, even if you're used to it, um, that there's some just human need for, you know, sure. your downtime. <laughs> and um, so, I don't know. I know that it's a humbling and even humiliating situation to be in to have um, to come here with nothing and depend on people that you don't even know if you can trust. Sure. That's that's the hard part, right? Yes. There have definitely been people that I worked with and they're like, I'm sorry, but the people that I'm talking to, they say I shouldn't trust you. And I'm like, you know, I would, I, I don't blame you and I wouldn't necessarily, you know, just trust somebody either. I can tell you um, you're probably wondering, like, what, why do you even, you don't know me, why are you involved in this? Like, does it just make you feel good about yourself? Sure. Uh, and I just say, like, you know, some of my best friends have claimed, you know, pleaded and been granted asylum. I've been interested in that. And um, I just, that's where my, you know, entry point is. And I ended up just doing this work and, you know, I don't mind doing it. So, you know, people will... To provide for their kids, if they have kids with them, yeah, they'll they'll place themselves in situations that they don't necessarily trust to get the things they need to provide yeah. for their children. That's and I the think thing. You and I would. Oh would yeah, you're same. right. I yeah. mean, that's the thing I keep hearing. Uh, people say that uh, in defense of supporting, you know, asylum seekers, mm-hmm. is that what would you do if it were you? If our if your country is falling your apart, you know, yeah. and you're trying to get out of a bad situation, a dangerous situation. But I think it's hard for us in the security of, yeah, and comfort of a... Fathom. It is very hard, yeah. Being in I, that situation. I, I hear this, and I brought it up on the show a few times. I always hear, when I talk to soldiers who have been uh-huh. um, served in foreign wars and yeah. some really war-torn countries, or when I talk to uh, someone who maybe is just serving in a, an organization of some kind overseas, right. when they come back... <clears throat> There's almost like a jaded period where it's hard to fit back in because mm-hmm. they, they feel I've heard these words specifically. Everyone here is walking around in a lie. This mm. is not what's going on out in the world and it's not real. Like Right. And that's that's almost like a negative, um, sour tone, but it's just very hard well, for some people to yeah. get back into it because they've seen they've seen some shit. The other man. side, right? Right. Yeah. But we don't see that day to day, so no, we don't you know. It's harder to find your empathy. No, there was a show, and you you would probably enjoy it, and I can't remember the title. I'm going to have to think mm-hmm. of it and send it to you, but it was an empathy project where oh, they cool. um, tricked this guy. They tricked this guy into becoming more empathetic to a foreigner uh-huh. um, to see if he would actually take a bullet for them. Oh, wow. But they picked somebody who was very against immigration and foreigners and he was all about english you know uh the typical mm-hmm. mindset that you mm-hmm. you would mm-hmm. encounter and so this guy's a mentalist you know he does like magic and things like that oh uh, wow and so he puts him through this process he makes the guy think that he's training for uh i believe it was a tv show <laughs> but he has to do all these different things and he plants triggers in him but over the course of this there was one part where he did a dna test on the guy and mm-hmm. he showed him his ancestry results. Right. And he was he was very against Muslims, uh, Middle Eastern people. He had a lot of opinions about that. But when they showed him his lineage, they did show him that he had ancestors in there. And he was he was 
a little disturbed, to be honest. Yeah. But the next phase was they put him in a room sitting across from a Middle Eastern man, uh-huh. but they couldn't speak. Right. They just sat in a room in total silence and stared at each other. <laughs> and it was not too long after they gave him that DNA result. And the guy just started weeping. Yeah. His heart, I mean, this is no words were said, and the guy just hugged him, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried. And long story short, in the yeah. end, he did eventually take a fake bullet he right. didn't know right. for like he thought a foreigner. he was taking a bullet for him. Yeah, yeah. It was a fascinating thing, and then it changed the guy's life. Well, and you know that I find that people who seem more likely to um, spout opinions on Facebook that seem very, like, um, well... You know, I don't know about the wall, but border, we need more border security, and this really is a problem. When you, on a personal level, say, hey, I have this friend, he's new here, um, he, he's here, you know, he, he's here claiming asylum, I fetted him and brought him through, and, you know, he's, um, he's hasn't had his hearing yet, but so, like, right now, you know, he's not undocumented, um, but he's... You know, he's an asylum seeker who has not yet been granted asylum. And um, I, you know, I don't speak Spanish. Can you help me translate this? Or, you know, I um, want to get a, a king cake for them. Can you pick it up for me? Or, you know, like just yeah. something like that. Yeah. People will, yes, they'll absolutely do it. Um, I think that people want to do good things the mm-hmm. same way that you know I, I don't know where I'm going with this exactly I think that people want to help and people want to be hospitable and if they're anything like me like they take it really personally if someone comes to like Charles and doesn't like it sure you know what I mean like I I, it's, I want people to <laughs> right. love it here yeah because it's home and um even if they maybe on a policy level are not looking like as extreme. I don't know how extreme mm-hmm. it really is, but as extreme as I am where I think our asylum laws really, really need to be revisited because as they stand, you have to be fleeing persecution because of your race, religion, political opinion. Um, your government has to be after you, basically. And we have more threats than just um, totalitarian governments. In today's world, we have... MS-13, we have ISIS, we have, um, th- you know, just situations that we sure. don't even really know about here, that we're totally bubbled off from, um, like your, you know, your soldier guests have have told you. Yeah. Um, that, that our asylum laws need to be revisited, and people will say, we can't, what about, what about our vets and homeless? What about... The people here who already need our help. What about the people here who can't make any money? What about, you know? Sure. Uh, or, you know, are we a capitalist nation or not? Like, is the market going to make room yeah. or not? And that, that what you're saying right there has always bugged me. I, I don't know. I, I probably don't have an educated take on it. But something about that has just always ate at me. When someone uses that as a justification to... Um, I don't know, shun another person. When you say, I'm not saying you're saying this, but like no, when I, I, when I hear mean, yes. someone say, well, what about these people? 
and it's like so are you saying that if we don't help them then that need is going to that that their needs are going to be met and that's not the case at all and you know even if it were are you saying humans aren't created creative enough right then we're getting into because we are you're getting into that faith thing see and what you believe about humanity maybe so children of god right i mean so you believe you're a child of the creator right okay that for me is i if i believe that which i do that i am born of a creator i have no more value or less value than any other child of the creator if i really believe that i can't hold a view that says well i can't i you know i can't do that they don't deserve right. they don't they deserve the, the same things i deserve the logical conclusion of recognizing inherent dignity yeah. in a human person is that that human person there you know there are certain things that are befitting human dignity being treated with respect and kindness and um, being regarded as worthy of basic needs being met and being regarded as worthy of being able to pursue virtue. And if you're living somewhere where people are out to destroy your life or your family or your whole city or your whole village, there's no space for you to pursue Sure. Virtue, or, um, you know, to even do more than live in constant anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that's why it's I so. I just feel like humans are creative enough to make room. What? <laughs> that's really what I th- I think. Sure. Well, there was room enough in creation for us. Right. You know, I mean, people will say that if humans blinked out, the Earth would stay. You know, the Earth's the Earth's not dependent on us at all. You know, we have a we have this consciousness and this sort of ego that makes us think we're highly important. But if we blinked out, yeah, the universe doesn't need us. No, it doesn't need us. But we arose out of it, out of this process, whatever create whatever process ultimately is creation. We arose out of it and developed consciousness and and awareness and identities and all of that. You Mm -hmm. know, so I don't know. I mean. I don't know. I guess this is, for me, it always comes down to like the, that gets into that core belief. I mean, I can't even my enemy like I I'd have very few, but there are people yeah. that just, you know, you're not going to get along with. And, uh-huh. you know, even them, even out when you get through with like a bad altercation, perhaps sitting back, I can still see humanity, humanity in that mm-hmm. person and, and take a moment and at least see that there's a trail of tears that has led to this. Most of the time, you know, that that's made this situation or made them an aggressor or whatever it may be. Ultimately, though, it gets back. I think about that when I think of border security, I go, Uh but I still have to protect my family in person. Of course. But at the same time, can you do that with compassion? You know, there's Mm -hmm. a saying in the Tao Te Ching that I always love and I'm going to butcher it, but it's (laughs) it's to the effect of um, a man enters into battle as if entering a funeral as if a man enters into conflict or battle as if attending a funeral and i've always liked that saying because it's how i've always felt about conflict can you unpack that for me yeah like the you know there we live in sort of a a rah-rah culture i think or Uh we have anyway where it's like uh team mentality Uh and uh boy i'm gonna go off here for a second so this goes back to something my dad said Uh uh-huh 
when my dad was younger, my dad was a Vietnam veteran, uh-huh. served in some pretty bad situations. I mean, terrible things, you know, that he's talked about and that he saw. There was a, and my dad was a patriot, right? Loved his country. <clears throat> when he was younger, and I would listen to his stories versus when he was older. Uh-huh. Okay, that's what I'm kind of about to talk about. So he would talk about that uh, very patriotically about being a soldier, being in the Vietnam War. I remember one time in class, we were studying the Vietnam War, and our teacher said, well, you know, we didn't win that war. We left Vietnam. And so I went home, and I, my dad knew my dad was in it, and I uh-huh. talked about it. He got highly, he got angry because he said, we didn't lose. He got really upset. Oh. And I, and I offended him. I knew right. I did. <clears throat> and I was like, so that's important to him to know that we didn't lose. And I was like, that's interesting because it reminded me of the way we think of teams. My team uh-huh. lost. Uh-huh. Their team won. Many, many, many years later... Dad eventually got sick from uh, Agent Orange exposure oh. and and passed away. But so sorry. No, it, it, thank you. He uh, he talked about it in a totally different light. One time hmm. he was listening to a radio show about the Vietnam War, and we were in the same vehicle. And he got really quiet, and he said, "I don't know why we were over there anymore." Wow. And I'm thinking it took his whole life and he completely 180 on that. And it didn't mean he didn't love his country. or right. It was the tone of, of remorse. Like he, I could tell in that moment, like the gravity yeah. of all the pain, all the suffering, everything, even his own illness was weighing on him. And it was like he was attending a funeral. It was wow. like, this is, a, this is a sad thing that we have to do violence, that we have to do war, that we have to have conflict. Yes. It's not something we should revel, ever right. revel in, and we should never Cheer it on have like a parade a, about it. Right. And But we do. We celebrate it. Yeah, like it's a football like game. Like it's a football game. They're the bad guys. We're the good guys. Mm-hmm. And I think you can think that way like it's a funeral and still it's, love your, the, country, your country or your team or your but that's a hard conversation heritage. to have yeah like you know that sounds like um loser talk you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. that's uh unpatriotic and I, i've come to believe that it's not i think it might be highly patriotic it reminds me a little of the um the organization called the jewish voice for peace mm. they uh work toward justice for palestinians um, and it doesn't mean that they have like self-hatred of themselves as Jewish people. Uh-huh. Um, and it doesn't even mean that they don't think that um, that there should be a, a Jewish presence or a, a, a formal Jewish state in the Middle East. Um, but they recognize that these are it's ancient land. And so there are these two tribes, so to speak, who have equal claim to it. From different time periods yeah and um their focus is really on pointing out um that you can be pro-palestine and still be an observant jew or just a cultural jew. you know there are many jewish people who um don't practice the religion but that you can be proud of your history as a jew and that it is your history um, as a Jewish person, person that informs your belief that uh, that what's happening to the Palestinians and what's been happening to the Palestinians, especially since um, the '68 conflict, mm-hmm. but even before to the '48 conflict, that um, that it's not 
okay it's not moral yeah it's interesting i was like uh having this conversation with my wife about diversity and uh-huh. accepting being accepting of um and not just accepting i don't even like that word sometimes the word accepting is deceptive like actually eager to learn about other cultures uh-huh. right and to actually enjoy that and just like having a new meal uh right it, in fact, Thich Nhat Hanh is a perfect <laughs> entry point into um, Col- making yes, yeah. into cultural. Thich Nhat Han said something education. in the book uh, "Living Buddha, Living Christ," what uh-huh. I loved, and it was uh, he was, you know, they were having a convention about an interfaith convention, interreligious uh-huh. convention, uh-huh. and one of the Catholic uh, priests had got up and said, "Now look, I know we're going to be talking about you know Buddhism and Christianity, but we're not making a fruit salad." And so Thich Nhat Han came up next and he said, this is all he said was, I love fruit salad. <laughs> and I love that verse, well, that line, that because line, I'm yeah. like, yeah, I mean, so what's the aversion to having two, these beautiful things come together and make something beautiful and new that can work yeah. together? You know, it's just a lovely thing. I don't know. <laughs> it is. Uh, but yeah, cuisine. I mean, guys... If you're listening and you live in Lake Charles and you've ever had thoughts about, um, you know, just fears or anxieties about people moving here, but you eat at um, Toga Grill or Taco Mel or Peronia's (laughs) or Tony's Pizza, they're Greek, or um, Cousins or uh, Mazins. I mean, think about it for a minute because this cuisine is part of what makes Lake Charles like the hidden jewel of a food city that we are because we really are and we're getting more and more recognition for that um and also if your last name is Broussard or Thibodeau you know or Terrio right um, Terrio that's my that's my mom's maiden name is wow that's my great-grandfather's name Emil Terrio my middle name is Emil yeah okay well, well we're that's probably interesting. Related. Somewhere down the line, yeah. <laughs> um, my mom can figure it out. That's so fascinating. When you said Terrio, I don't hear it very often. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't. Well, because okay, so my, my people are from. Um, well, they settled Terrio, Louisiana. Okay. In Lafouche Parish, huh? or maybe Terrebonne, Terrebonne Parish, um, and then moved more toward like Kaplan Abbeville Perry. I tried to trace my great grandfather's ancestry, but it it just peters out around world war one my I mean, mom can help you yeah we've dug a bit but it, you know you i'm just using online tools yeah and, um the, the records just kind of stop mm-hmm. around his uh now he had a as we understand he had a a sister um and then my grand my grandmother's mother just sort of dropped disappeared and oh, left wow. and moved away so we don't know who she was we don't yeah. she never talks about her so yeah i mean there was and he only spoke french yeah so, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I can mm-hmm. remember mm-hmm. him very well when I was little. Well, my family that I, you know, I can recall that spoke French also spoke English, but they would speak French around all the kids when they didn't want us to know what we were talking about. Which yeah. So many of us have memories of that. And um, That's right. And, but we were taking French in school, so we thought, oh, if we listen hard enough, we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. We never really did. <laughs> yeah, I remember he would say, I think they always just think it was funny because he would say like a cuss word in French. Uh-huh. And they would go, do you know what he's saying? And the little thing, and you didn't know when you were a kid, of uh-huh. course. But yeah, his name was Emil, but Emil we called him Papa. Papa. Yeah. And so I, I'm actually very proud of that middle name. I mean, nobody, I don't say it too often, but when people it's ask, middle name. you know, it's a different. That's a good you know, one. Yeah. Uh, I have a little, um, funny how things pop up in your life at the right times, but 
my grandmother, when I was in my 20s, had gave me his rosary uh-huh. and um, some of his medals that he had. But uh-huh. there was this one medal, and I, I keep it on my rosary, uh, but it was just an aluminum um, scapular medal mm-hmm. with a sacred heart on one side, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just honestly scratched to pieces. You could see, you could tell there was a figure, yeah. and that it, I assumed it was Christ. But I've loved that medal particularly because the features are all worn off of it. Uh-huh. And I used to meditate on it, and I still do, that when I look at the, that Christ, he doesn't look like anybody. anybody. doesn't look like a man or a woman. I just know it's Christ. it's Christ. Wow. And I love that about it. I love that particular thing because yeah. it, it's a wonderful meditation to just go what is again you said universalism that's where i start to dive into that territory because start entering into that universal christ you know that idea that sort of gets beyond skin and bone and Mm -hmm. teeth and Mm -hmm. that that's the magic stuff well, it's funny that you mentioned this because I learned to pray the rosary at the bedside of my great-grandmother Momolterio. Isn't that something? <laughs> yeah. You know, that ancient, I say ancient for me, it's ancient because I didn't know him. I mean, I was a little yeah. boy, and so there's no way for him to share to his share yeah. faith and what got him through hard times. I mean, as a World War One veteran mm-hmm. and all these things and raising my grandmother as mm-hmm. a single father in a time wow. period where everybody, yeah, you know, great, de- great depression, poor, you right. know, like... But he went to La Salette here in Sulphur. Uh-huh. He would walk uh, through the woods. Wow. Because uh, there were a lot yeah, of roads, yeah, you know, he walked right. through the woods. So. It's a good Our Lady of La Salette. But yeah, I mean, many years later was, I mean, even though I had those items, I didn't uh, actually explore the faith, you know, immediately. Right. And it was years later, you know, again, meditating on those items where you kind of, I kind of entered back through that yeah. door. So in a way it was his blessing to mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and i love that yes. i love that you know it's just something to because in my family we weren't catholic you know he didn't pass that on oh, and wow. uh so i kind of wanted to make that full circle and kind of bring that part of that back so you were not baptized as a baby i was no wow no i could actually well this is interesting how this is shaping up so <laughs> i know i my faith catholic faith journey has been kind of um a blessing, mm-hmm. but also tumultuous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of factors in my life that are just oddball things that don't quite plug in very yeah. well with the Catholic faith. Yeah, and 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 I will say this: the way it's hmm, the as, way it can be expressed, the way it's expressed, particularly possibly in where I live. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. I'll I say it, it that 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 I way. And that's not to mean that I have not met loving beautiful people and who the heck who am i to judge anybody yeah, yeah no same but there's just factors like for one and i mean i talk about the show all the time my son is gay mm-hmm. so right off the bat there is um a level of not non-acceptance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this language that i have a hard time with intrin- intrinsically disordered, disordered my things sister's like. gay okay so you know my you know the sibling. drill yeah. you know the drill I do. And so, I mean, I've talked about this in the last, with the last guest, I said, I don't ever, I've never once looked at my son and said, my gay son. I right. say he's gay only to, to to express the thing that we deal with. Yeah. But that has nothing to do with him, it has to do with other people. Yeah. Right? He's just my son, and I'm just his father. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't even play in, mm-hmm. but it plays into other people. Right. You know, for what, what they, for their expectations They're always, are. yeah, they wonder about if the way you're parenting him is right um expressing his 
true dignity or if it's just uh coddling his yeah disorder or whatever right no yeah like it's it's the uh you have then you know i mean and And it's it is one of the the major points of tension that i have yeah yeah so i struggle with that and i've struggled with it because i can't have um fully open and loving conversations i always that part always would turn sour yeah um one one thing that i that really was hard for me has been uh praying publicly with others because Mm -hmm. a lot of the prayers are about uh same-sex relationships and you know and about the gay agenda and and so when i'm in a public group (laughs) and those are the prayers that are being said out loud but i'm internally praying for my family and my son who is the very person that that's i've struggled with that struggle with it right there with you so i've tried to share the faith with my son and i find that that uh, has been very very difficult mm-hmm. it's um a hard uh a hard thing and he's had a hard time with it because he feels like he's seen as other or yeah or different so intrinsically uh, disordered that's very difficult i i don't know and, and it's not that i again and, and you said at the beginning you know the eucharist is such a big part a source and summit as yeah say. and so you know once you've discovered that truth mm-hmm. And that's in your life. That's a it, yeah. it just complex. And I really think it's the single most beautiful religious teaching in the history of humanity, and yeah, <laughs> and it's inextricable from so much else. But I'm really interested in the question of what it is extricable from and what teachings will develop. Yeah, and how they will develop over time. Um, so I don't. Yeah, know. you just said exactly. I just have to live in the tension right now. <laughs> that's right. You know. Yeah. And, and our ancestors had to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. It's kind of what we've been talking about is yeah. how these cycles just sort of repeat repeat themselves. Uh-huh. One, and, and speaking of Catholicism and immigration, there was a time when we were the Muslims, so to speak. Right. We were the right. invaders who were going to be more faithful to the church than to the rule of law in our land, the way that people talk about what they call Sharia law, which they don't really understand what Sharia law is. Um you know, well, you hear it so, thrown all, around, yeah, and you, you just do. accept the cult, whatever's right, being whatever's blasted been, out there, yeah, right? Yeah, and it's a very, like, just narrow, twisted definition of what that is. I mean, the equivalent for us is canon law. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's all the minutia, and, and Islam, of course, is um, it's all based in jurisprudence. There's no central teaching authority. There are just courts upon courts upon courts. Yeah. And um, and they they the court's purpose is to work out the details the ever evolving you know rulings about the way people conduct themselves in everyday life yeah and so it's not um as simple as sharia law says a woman needs to be stoned or sharia law says throw gay people off of buildings or you know whatever right. it is that people say it's, it's yeah. nothing to do with that but um but there were those fears about us, and and Thomas Nast, the famous you know cartoonist, and you know we his Condé Nast, like the the publishing you know yeah arm, the publishing brand, like they um, they were so afraid of Catholics, and there are all these cartoons of these like crocodiles with Pope hats right. you know, swimming I've seen onto that our stuff. shore, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's this it's that was. 
I don't know how people who are Catholic can um, participate in this fear of people who just happen to be practicing their faith and living their lives and want to do that here. Yeah, it's interesting how you persecution breeds. Your grandparents did too. It breeds extreme. One one extreme breeds another type of extreme. Uh-huh. Um, it's like the whole gunpowder treason yeah. story. Yeah. You know that whole plot, that Guy Fox story. It comes right out of so Protestant persecution of Catholics, right. which gives rise to rebellion. Right. And ultimately, what they would have labeled him a terrorist. Right. right. I mean, by today's standards, right. those gentlemen yeah. now they're, they're heroes, but. To the, right. to the Catholic faith, but they were terrorists to... Right. It just gets into this situation where you're going, the pressure from one side creates a pressurized sure. version on the other side, and if yeah. we could just get out of that cycle, man, <laughs> I mean, but it just seems to never end. I know. What if we could all just solve our problems with chess matches? Yeah, yeah, I know. It doesn't make any sense, but one one man, one man has to go kill another. It just, I, I, I don't know, the cycle of violence is just so... Uh, I don't know. And then on one hand, you know, you th- I, I think about this sometimes. Comparatively, is the world worse than it used to be? I mean, in a lot of ways, it's it's Probably better. Not. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of advancements and things that people have we accomplished. We have the technology you know? to communicate with people who don't speak our language, whose language yeah. we don't speak, like Google Translate. Um, sure. We have the technology to see the world through the eyes of people all over the world using Instagram or Snapchat or Periscope. Um, we get so many perspectives, and it's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I really think it is. We live in a time where we can be exposed to so much that isn't filtered through, you know, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but that isn't filtered through, you know, major media conglomerates or you know whatever we live in a time where independent media can thrive um we live in a time we live in a time where the president uses twitter right and i mean there's there (laughs) (laughs) right right there are you know this particular president's use of twitter is i mean even his fans don't always like it sure um but we we live in a time where um we have direct access to other people and their thoughts in ways that never you know we nobody had that before yeah um and that's a that's a great thing and it can really be harnessed i i think i hope um no i think you're right too for, that's you know for good for for, for doing good, good for things for doing good yeah. things and communicating um and and i know that people are down on so-called armchair activists um, who just sit around on social media and talk and solve the world's problems but aren't doing anything. But, you know, maybe I just take it personally, but because I spent so many years with little, little kids at home and I couldn't do as much, I didn't have the bandwidth to do as much, but conversation, I think we've really seen, shapes policy. No, I mean, you have to get so information out there and have conversations. conversations. Discourse, you know, if we don't control the discourse, we people who care about justice, if we don't control the discourse or attempt to really, you know, insert ourselves into the discourse, then the discourse is taken over by, um, you know, propaganda that's rooted in fear. Yeah. 
it gets back to team mentality. You yes. can sort of just say, okay, I've made up my mind about this, and I'm going to go have a conversation. Where I'm, like, you know, I'm making quotey fingers right now. Right. A conversation about this. But wouldn't we enter the conversation? We've already entered it with a moat around our ideas and a barbed wire fence around them, mm-hmm. and all the guns are ready to fire. <laughs> so we're not really having a conversation. Yeah. We're just defending our position i'm totally guilty of that though well but but on the same time you're are you open to having your mind changed sometimes sometimes <laughs> i mean if you get new information yeah and you've tested yeah. it yeah you know that was yeah. one of the things that always attracted me to buddhism was what oh, he right. said don't trust what i've said go test, test yeah, it test you it. know test it like goals you know to see if it's actually what i'm saying it is hmm. and so I'm open to having my mind change if I get new information and I have the opportunity to, to test, test it, it, you know, and actually do some digging. But I don't like making decisions on limited information quickly. Yeah. You know, because then I, I'm just doing the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty. I mean, I've done that even with social media. I get a piece of information like anybody else and it looks like an atrocity. Mm-hmm. And I just get that immediate, like, knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. And then I go, oh, you know, well, I didn't have all the information. Mm-hmm. But most of us live our lives with only pieces of information. Yeah. You get what you get. And we get more than people used to get. Right. We mm-hmm. almost, some people say we have too much information. I don't know. That I, I think having. I think if you curate what you curate, take in. Yes. That's right. Uh, I know. And that's kind of a buzzword. But no, but I agree with curate it. curate what you take in. Sure. But the other side of curating what you take in is the, the whole, what people call the echo chamber. Yeah. You can and end up in that situation. You can. Yeah. Um, no. I mean, I'm guilty on all that, those fronts. I mean, I try not to do that. I do like to hear opposing viewpoints. I just, I don't know. I Oh, I'm totally guilty of reading the comments. Yeah, the comments. <laughs> yeah. They but you have some the pretty, comments, you, the, you manage your comments. Oh, on my personal stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's my terrain. Yeah. And, um, you let people know what the rules are. Yes. And I like that because it's like, you know, behavior that gets sort of abrasive or just out of line. Uh I shut that down. Vile. You're done with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do that for work, so it's just second nature to me. We uh, we have a fan community that's pretty large, 15,000 people. Yeah, that's pretty um, large. So we have, to, uh, we have to manage it pretty strictly, and I have an amazing team of volunteer moderators that really um, do the legwork there, but I've I created the handbook. Yeah. So I kind of follow my, the same the own, handbook yeah, the rules same on rules. my own personal social media. Yeah. And um, it works. Yeah. No, it seems to. I mean, I, I do read your comments. There are certain people where... Um, but do I'm, you read KPLC comments? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I have. I quit doing that years ago. I actually don't even uh, follow do that news feed anymore. <laughs> um, not because of KPLC necessarily, no, no. just because it turned into a... It's just a beehive of kind of it is whatever. It's a free sometimes. for all. Yeah. Yeah. But is that sort of what led you to finding the good news? No, it is actually. Yeah, this is again, it's another, yeah. without that, this doesn't happen, you yeah. know? I mean, that could happen to this, mm-hmm. you know, because we don't always talk about things that people agree with, right. you know, and they don't agree with maybe everything I say or whatever a guest says. Mm-hmm. I guess getting back to what we were talking about, I hope that they'll at least consider, or if we do say something on this show, that someone just says, hey, I don't agree with that, maybe at least go, well, why don't I agree with it? Right. You know, um, this past weekend I was just visiting with my son and he was taking some political opinions and I said, well, and I didn't disagree with him, but I was like, well, why do you feel that way? Give me a list. And, um, you know, it was an interesting exercise because I start, you know, you realize a lot of people are upset, but they don't know why. Right. You know, they don't like something, but they don't know why. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I'm guilty. Yeah. You know? I need to just do my own due diligence and dig a little bit. 
you you can get gridlocked to trying to live like that. Yeah. You know, always never making a decision right. because you don't have all the information. You know. Right. But, and at uh, some point, I think if we have first principles that are grounded in um, like a moral code that we operate from. Yeah. You know, then then we're going to be able to evaluate things through that filter um but when our moral code gets challenged that's when we feel like we don't have the equilibrium to you know and that's i mean that's what your son's a teenager yeah 15 yeah he's the perfect age to be you know influenced in so many directions when i was 15 i was reading ayn rand like yeah 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 yeah. we all go through that phase for a minute i think yeah, well, I mean, I'm influenced by what I've read in my life. There's no doubt about it. I mean, some things I've, I've read when I was younger that I don't go back to, but some mm-hmm. things really stuck, and, mm-hmm. and they shaped, you know, the course of my thing, my life, my thinking. Yeah. And so there, there's... there are some things I loved and and held as close to my identity, and then in adulthood, filtering them through my um, my moral code and my understanding from learning more about um like the history of racism and white supremacy i i go back and i'm like oh (laughs) it's a big cringy moment yeah (laughs) um annie get your gun have you seen that movie no well there's a whole lot of just anti-native american oh wow stereotypes and 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 at the time you know people will say oh it's just entertainment it's lighthearted, but there, you know, there's there are just all these cultural questions to consider as we um, push as far past that, you know, phase of this country's history as we can at the yeah, the, you know, at the highest speed possible. Please. Yeah, no, you're right. That's the thing that it's sort time of, to catch it's up. It's time to and, catch up. Yeah, and, and so a lot of catching up is going to be people who've benefited from not. Ha- having to be hurt by these narratives um realizing developing the empathy to realize like yeah it seems small to me but if it doesn't seem small to my neighbor then i need to give it up because our future and our shared humanity is more important than you know my sports team keeping the mascot or right. the or you know this my beloved um, well, Peter Pan or any get your gun. Or. I mean, that gets into like, yeah, tradition of any kind. Mm-hmm. When tradition is detrimental to one particular group of people, mm-hmm. is that not is a it, tradition we shouldn't be revisiting? Right. You know? Not, I, not everything is worth protecting, even as we do protect our, you know, our heritages and preserve our cultural identities. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think we're in that all. In a lot of ways, I think we can end up building um, kind of false idols out yes. of that kind of stuff, you yes. know, uh, a tradition that is something that probably maybe had value at a certain point in the world. Mm-hmm. But as we've moved forward and we've changed as a, as a species, as a creature, you know, yeah. uh, it's time to rethink that. We have a problem with that, though. We do. I think we have trouble letting we doing do. that. We do. You know? Even I, you know, I'll find um, there are some. All throughout the world, all throughout the the world that observes Mardi Gras, there are some very problematic blackface traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
those are even right here, you know, in Louisiana. I'm not talking about Zulu, like New Orleans. I don't feel like that's my lane to comment. Um, but here in the Cajun tradition, uh, white people in blackface, um, and people will say, what? Well, but, uh, you know, the people of color do it too. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, but. But can we still examine this critically? I think yeah. that we need to. And I think that there are more and more. I, I don't usually, I don't go to the couriers, but I know that at least one of them doesn't allow blackface anymore. Um, and people will get defensive of the tradition. And even I sometimes do, like, if someone else is commenting on it, I'm kind of like, I can talk about my mama, but you can't talk about my mama. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? No, I get it. Yeah, um, no, it's totally. But, but, <laughs> yeah. but it's not, I mean, that's really not the the most um, consistent response. Like, I, I, I think that we can analyze this critically and look at it objectively and see that it's time to catch up. It's time to move past that. And that doesn't mean throw out Mardi Gras. Yeah. No, you don't throw, what's the old saying? Throw, don't the, throw baby the baby out with the bathwater. Bath right. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to ask this question because I ask this of everybody, you know, with all the things you're involved with in the service that you're offering. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do that instead of doing nothing? Because, I mean, oh. you could not do anything. Well. Because some people, you know, see, we, we all see the same thing. So that's, why? like, not how my mama raised me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, man, I don't, my mom has always been an example for me of, yeah. of of being involved and and service and she has put aside a lot of her service lately to care for um my youngest daughter while i work from home uh and but she has uh, she's always been involved she was um she was a high school teacher for most of my life and she would sponsor several clubs and they did service work and i don't know it's just it's just always been what i do and there were years where i didn't have the bandwidth mm-hmm. to do it um there was a time in my late teens early 20s when i like wanted to start a catholic worker house and i was mm-hmm. really into dorothy day and, yeah yeah um and then instead i had kids and was like well I, I can't put my kids in a potentially dangerous situation you know because catholic worker really involves sticking your neck out for sure. people that you know you you just don't know not all people um are are trustworthy that's just that's true, true. that's true um yeah. but anyway i i just i'm i guess there's some selfishness to it i i feel more like myself when i'm doing when I have projects, um, and my husband points this out a lot, he's like, you have so much energy to pour out for these projects and for other people, and then not always for your own family, and that's true. And the, um, the Myers-Briggs personality, mm. you know, I'm mm. an ENFP, I'm a classic ENFP, um, so I have this extroverted energy that's so justice-oriented, and then when I'm home, I just want to be quiet. Mm. And I don't want to talk to anybody. And, I mean, that's not that's, always fair to my family. But you sometimes know? people, we are who we are, we're wired yeah, certain ways. Yeah, I get yeah. that. Uh, but, I mean, I don't, I, I try not to be stuck in that. Yeah. Um, 
just so that my kids don't grow up with memories of mom always had energy for other people. <laughs> right. You don't want us. that. Well, no, I get that. I do. So. I, I struggle with that, too. I mean, you know, I guess having a business and then yeah. doing st- the show, I mean, yeah. or anything. I mean, I have my heart's always going to be towards the downtrodden and the stranger. Yeah. And that isn't always a safe thing. And, you know, you can't you can't do what you can't do. Right. And that's hard sometimes when you mm-hmm. want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh no, I get that. And you're trying to ask your family to come along on the journey. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's not their choice. Right. They didn't have know. really much of a say. I just yeah. started doing it. And um, and then I was like, hey, you're going to help me make this delivery. Hey, kids, you're all coming, too. There's a, there's a, there's some kids that right. you can play with while we're moving stuff. And um, the kids have been great about it. It's uh, probably going to shape them, though. I mean, I, and who I knows? So. You hope it does. I mean, I, I mean, don't like know. I was just talking about how my mom. Right. You know, I, that's who she raised me to be, so this is what I'm doing. Right. No, it makes total sense. I mean, that's what we hope is that they keep the best parts of us and find their own way. Yeah. You know. Exactly. So we have this part of this show called Fishing for Goodies. Oh, wow. It's this lovely fishbowl sitting here oh, that's obscured by stickers. I love it. Uh, so each guest that's been on the show has drawn three questions out of there. Oh, wow. And then we discuss those questions. Oh, okay. I know what some of the questions are, but I don't know all of them. So there's a mix of like guest-submitted questions, listener questions, some I've put in there, and then there's some from this deck called Wordsmith, which I really like. So who knows? So pull three out. Pull three out. You can pull. Then you can take one at a time if you want, however you want to do it. Do you prefer popcorn or candy with your movie or something what? else? Now that's I'm not that's a simple question. It is. Um Okay, I and I don't go to the movie theaters very often. Okay, what about at home? It's too loud. And um at home, if I'm watching TV, I'm watching YouTubers. Oh I'm really? Watching makeup YouTubers. Makeup YouTubers. Man, that is so <laughs> that's popular. It. That's my yeah, and that's like kind of my uh you know release or whatever yeah um so i don't really like movies they stress me out do they yes like why I don't, just they just do i don't know. all movies no if i if Are i you? am familiar with it already i'll watch it but i don't like to watch new movies really i have to really I've never heard that mood. before it might be once or twice a year that i will watch something brand new to me and so that's interesting so something brand new is it just related to movies or is that just like new things pretty much any like um media like entertainment media like really uh i don't no i'm still listening to the same music i was listening to in 2003 for the most part i understand that (laughs) i'm I'm not i uh my music taste is all over the place i don't listen to a lot of new stuff it's mostly old. well if if i learn about anything new it's from my husband or my kids that's exactly um, me too occasionally world cafe on npr but usually i'm just listening to a podcast yeah um so well, you're not no, snacking on popcorn or candy. I don't snack then. much during while I'm watching YouTube because I'm usually folding clothes. Ah, okay. So no, no snacks. Um, I guess if there's any snack, it's a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, that's good. Baby. That's interesting about the movies. I've never heard anybody <laughs> no, say that before. I'm just a weirdo. <laughs> okay. Oh, a card. Write a letter to someone who has impacted your life. Hmm. Do I have to? You don't have to write a letter. The you letter? can just tell me who it would be. Who it would be? Oh man, um, man, I don't know. There's so many people. Um, you have like a hinge moment in your life where something changed, where you're like, this is something that's like a pushpin. 
Hmm. No, no, I'm just trying to think of who it could be. I mean, there's so many options. Um. I um. Oh my goodness. That's you a know, heavy actually, question. But the answer is just um. It's pretty simple. It's not like it's not real deep. Um. There's a comic book writer, and I don't actually read comic books. But there's oh. a comic book writer called named G Willow Wilson. Okay. And she wrote a memoir in her early 20s yeah. called The Butterfly Mosque, uh-huh. One Woman's Journey to Love in Islam. Uh-huh. And she is an American yeah. who almost immediately after 9-11 ended up moving to Egypt to teach English after she graduated from um, Boston University and uh, ended up like she knew she was going to convert. And she converted to Islam, like, based, to Islam mm-hmm. basically on the tr- on the plane, right? Um, but kept it a secret for a while. But then fell in love with an Egyptian man. Really? Um, anyway, so the it's all it's a memoir from her early twenties. Um, and if I could write like that now, like she wrote in her early twenties, so really it's just that the beautiful writing of this memoir. And um, I actually I I interact with her some on Twitter, not as much as wow. not as much as comic book people do like i don't have as much because she mostly talks about she wrote the miss marvel series oh okay yeah um, oh, and she's she an just, islamic character right yeah kamala khan yeah kamala khan um is a pakistani um oh okay uh teenager but she just wrapped up her last miss marvel because she's writing wonder woman now oh wow okay yeah and she's just an incredible mind and the interviews that she gives um just are so just pleasant to listen to i just really uh love her brain another person you're looking up on youtube right you can watch her i do watch her on youtube watch her interviews yeah or listen to podcasts where she was interviewed yeah um and i like i said i don't even read comic books and i could listen to her talk about comics it's just that i love her brain yeah so that's who i'd write a letter to well that's cool (laughs) i've not you know i never really thought about that person i know the character miss marvel and uh Mm -hmm. i guess i've never paid attention to who was the writer G Willow Wilson, and then I would have but never now known it's uh, Saladin Ahmed, I think, is who is taking over the writing from Ms. Marvel. From Ms. Marvel. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. I like that answer. G Willow it's, Wilson. Well, I learned something. She has a new novel releasing next month, and I don't even read a lot of fiction, but I'm planning to read it. It's called The Bird King. And so the way she impacted you was because of just, her writing, just her just style, her brain just the way is it, beautiful. Yeah. Yes, her ah, brain is so beautiful. I love that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look her up. You should. I will. Okay. Have you ever stayed up for an entire 24 hours and why? Oh, of course, in college. Yeah? yeah. Just because? Exam- no, exams, exams or papers. Waiting to the last minute to write papers, things like that. I think the only time I ever stayed up that I can really remember consciously making the choice was uh, my buddy Kane had uh was just trying to get one of his friends to watch twin peaks oh my gosh twin peaks is the scariest and we watched it grossest thing <laughs> we that's probably it. no that's probably why i don't like movies because From twin peaks well all that david lynch shit yeah he's weird like <laughs> because in high trippy. school and college like all the guys yeah. they wanted to watch david lynch and you go on a date and they wanted to watch david lynch anyway like I'm just, it'll make you feel uncomfortable yeah yeah no there's a vibe of it's just like why just do i feel too much for me yeah well he was really into it he still is and uh I watched it with him, and so we stayed up. We did like a twenty-four-hour thing back then. It was VHS tapes. I've never and... made it past the second episode. Oh come of Twin on, Peaks, and well, I've tried. We, I love him. 
funny story about that. My uh, years later, that you know, they were releasing after 25 years, the new season was yeah. coming out, and so. I was like, I'm going to rewatch this when my my son got into it with me. And he's like, Dad, I'm the only teenager at school. When I say Twin Peaks, nobody knows what I'm talking about. Oh I was like, gosh. well, no, man. Well, I was when like, I was it's... in high school, it was a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. At least in my group of friends. I believe it. I believe it. Oh, That's man. funny. No way. So, so creepy. if people want to help you in your yeah. endeavors, uh-huh. if uh, they want to follow you and listen to what you have to say or anything you have going on, what's the best way for them to do that? Um... You can uh, just request my friendship on Facebook. I'll friend you. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to give you a link to Immigrant Families Together's general okay. fund, which raises money for bonds okay. and um, travel fare for reunification of families. Okay. Uh, so when you promote this, I would love for you to share that. No, link. I will. So yeah, I'll we put a link. You. We put links in every um, description. Yeah. That's what I figured. So I want you to be able to share that so that if people, you know, not everybody can um, do more than give. So I try to make it easy for people to give. Um, That's why I make an Amazon registry. Amazon, you know, is all sorts of problematic and... Um, but it's easy, like yeah. And uh, there's cool. just got to be an easy way for people to. It help. does seem that the oh, way you handled that does. makes it easier for people to make an impulse I decision can, and do the right and thing. Do the and right thing. Do I mean, I think a registry of 89 items, 80 items were purchased like within two weeks. Yeah, yeah. I was I was fascinated by that the way you handled that, and I was like, you know, I've never seen. I, again, might be just my own ignorance, but I was like, I have never seen things coordinated like this before and it just worked it was so simple you don't have to think about it too and, hard yeah and, and people people usually have money set aside in their budgets to give yeah. um i know a lot of people who are not tithing right now with sure. everything going on with the hierarchy and, sure um so they've just kind of rerouted their tithes to more direct ways of giving well, because sure. they don't want to have to pay for diocesan lawyers to yeah. cover for um, I get bad that. behavior. So sure. um, I think that, uh, you know, I've reached out to the right people at the right time lately. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, there are just lots of people who set aside money to give and um, it's an easy way for them to do it and to know that what they're doing isn't, uh, it's like directly impacting someone right. it isn't trickling down through a big system yeah you know i mean it gets right to where it needs, it to. Right to, where it needs to something somebody can use it's going to help mm-hmm. i mean you know really like we said we it's easy when you live in comfort i think about that at night when i'm laying down with my little boy comfortable bed air condition yes. full stomachs there are so many you know. things you know i made a registry to start with for a family and it was mostly like clothes and um towels and things like that but there were things i didn't think of like their house sharing and they need a way to keep their stuff separate from yeah. the other family stuff kind of storage so containers. yeah organization and containers and things like that that like we just take for granted i just it didn't even occur to me sure well yeah i mean i get that because without i mean just take one take your main piece of furniture or storage out of your life and you've got things laying all over the place yeah exactly you know and when in a shared space that's going to be that's difficult gonna be, yeah and, and you already feel humbled enough that that someone's letting you live in their home you don't want to also you know use their stuff or be in their way or so yeah 
No, I, I agree. I'm, I'm actually really glad you took the time to come talk. Good. Yeah. I love finding people like you out there. <laughs> well, Lake Charles has a lot of good people and the, and the whole all of Southwest Louisiana. We just do. Yeah, that's what it seems to be. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, I'm learning it, honestly. You know, if I'm, I'm hoping as time goes by that this becomes just an information hub. You know, where people Mm -hmm. can just look, honestly, look to these conversations. Yeah. Or the people that have come on here and go, hey, who are they connected with? And connect the dots and find a way to volunteer to serve. Who knows? Find employment, whatever it may Mm be, and and maybe even find a direction. For mm-hmm. their life, I mean, some people mm-hmm. are young and they don't, look, yeah, they don't know what they want to do, and they might be inspired to get involved in something. That, I wish I had had podcasts to listen to when I was sixteen. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I wish I had them too. I mean, now it's a it's addictive, and I hope to hear. I hope there's more podcasts around here because you know, all, I know. I think that if there were more, I was so excited to learn that there was a podcast in this area. I had no idea that there was something being produced here. I think there's three or four. Really? Yeah, one is. Um, and I've not communicated with these folks, but I've listened to a couple episodes. Uh-huh. It's called uh, Horror and Hops, which you might not like oh, it because it's movies. movies. But, but they, beer? But beer, uh-huh. yeah. So they Pretty watch cool. horror movies, and they discuss them. And one person doesn't like, I think, as I understand it, uh, isn't a fan of horror movies or hasn't seen oh, a lot of wow. horror movies. So they yeah. get to kind of have that reaction. That, so oh, it's interesting fun. conversations. <laughs> and then there is another one, and I don't know the name of it. Um, and that, I guess that's not a good thing if, we, if it didn't stick, but it's a business podcast. And I think they interview, you know, different business owners. It's like uh, maybe Power Hour or something like that. Huh, okay. I don't know. I, yeah. I feel bad that I don't know, honestly, but I haven't listened to but, that, but one episode of that. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, that's the only ones that I know of. Oh, and then I think there's a financial advice one, too. Oh. Uh, brother and sister team. Hmm. So, there's not that that's many. Cool. But hopefully, as the area grows and changes, yeah. we'll see it rise. We're seeing a lot yeah. of growth, and um, some of that is due to immigration. So yeah, that's people right. People are going to just need to. Well, one of our biggest clients, one of their, their, their things that's very important to them is that we have multicultural elements mm-hmm. in the advertising that we produce so mm-hmm. we know that the sentiment's out there yeah. you know that it's important it's just uh i don't know just watching it change hopefully mm-hmm. it's for the better full speed ahead yeah full steam ahead whatever the actual i think it's full steam ahead because of steamboats yeah or trains <laughs> i don't know which don't one know. it it's is so, it's such an american saying it's funny my son and i boy i was about to end the podcast but i don't know maybe you can tell me where this comes from we okay. were trying to figure out where the saying uh you got the short end of the stick came oh, from yeah, i don't know the and history we, of that me either we had all kinds of theories i was like we've not said that before and i'm I don't sure know. that google could tell yeah us, we just didn't look it up to talk about it is possibility possibilities what is the short end of the stick? we thought about that um, but the short end of the stick right. was the part i was like Does not that the short make, stick not the short stick but the short end of the stick i don't know it could be know. one of those just funny sayings that doesn't mean maybe anything. there are a lot of these idioms that we use all the time that are actually rooted in plantation and slavery culture like cakewalk yes we were talking about this we were listening to now i don't god this is terrible we're gonna keep on going i know this is terrible because of the subject matter and i worry that people would really think i I don't want to propagate it but the um ice cream truck song 
Oh, I didn't know. Is that from Minstrel Shows? Yes, and the the lyrics are oh no, we don't horrendous. Well, and I was it was in an article I read one day and it said if you knew the history of this song you wouldn't. And I was so I looked it up and I went oh my gosh on our ice cream. But nobody knows. We don't know. We just yeah, but we don't need. I mean, but that's one of those things we're talking about. Why not just you know make the change? Make the change. Just examine it critically and understand that whether you think it's a big deal or not people who are directly impacted do yeah so someone knows and it's make the change why not why not full steam ahead yeah i love